0: So you know we're talking again about Moses and uh, this is the last piece of our Heroes of Faith series and I I personally have been blessed by a, a lot of the different speakers who have shared. I actually was not originally scheduled to speak on this Sunday. Uh, this was someone else was going to do that at the Lake Merced campus. They're having a special celebration off campus right now at another, I don't know, alternative site. and. We had a speaker lined up to be here. Um, she was not able to make it, and so I am stepping in and uh, finishing this up. And I actually was blessed. For, initially, I, I, I wasn't as blessed, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, am, I am feeling blessed to be able to uh, share, because I, it, it allowed me to actually inter- interact with some things in the scripture that probably I needed myself. And it's interesting how God can do that at times. And so, um, you know, I mentioned in Hebrews 11, this is where a lot of the the reference is going to be made uh, to this particular part of Moses' life that we're going to look at. And so many of these these people are are referred to as examples of faith in this great chapter of Hebrews 11 in the New Testament. Uh, The letter itself was written to believers who were under an extraordinary amount of duress, they were suffering persecution. Uh, Many of them were having a hard time reconciling how God could love them and yet how they could suffer so intensely. And part of what was being written here is to remind them that this is what prevailing faith looks like. And many of these examples occurred in, in scenarios that were not good and were actually very difficult. And so that's part of what's being alluded to here. Now, when we come to Hebrews 11, verse 24... I would like us to just sort of read through this, and uh, we'll make our way fairly rapidly through it just to understand it. But uh, it starts out as a as sort of a reference to Moses, and it says in verse 24 that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, which is a curious phrase from the outset, uh, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, they would have understood, being familiar with the Hebrew scriptures and the story of Moses, that grown up here in this reference meant at that moment, when Moses was 40 years of age, uh, in, he was in the strength of his manhood when he made the decision to, to refuse to be, be associated with the place of privilege that he had possessed, and instead he chose to identify himself with the persecuted people of God who were enslaved. It was a life-altering decision that was made on the basis of a faith that he possessed in the eternal living God in contrast to the temporal things that he could possess um, and, and live out his life with, but he felt in his heart could never actually ever truly mean anything. And so we're told that by faith when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Um, you know, think about 40 is typically a time when we associate with the period of strength. Uh, it's an interesting life marker. That's the age, again, that Moses was when he made this life shift. Uh, yeah, I myself, having been there a long, long time ago uh, in a galaxy far away, no, I mean, being there a long, long time ago, I've come to sort of was reflecting back on it. And, you know, 40 is an interesting age. For some of us, it seems like so far in the distance. For others of us, it's in the rearview mirror. Some of us were right near it. And uh, But it seems to be, uh, to me, a, a truly early midlife marker. And I was actually having this conversation with... a. Uh, I'll call him a young man. He was not quite 40. Um, But I think oftentimes we're so immersed in our family at this time, or if we have one, uh, or our career, or our, you know, just life's complexities, the stuff of life. Sometimes we're so immersed at that age that we really can't appreciate the churning that's within us. And I call, you know, many times the turmoil of the early 50s that is often the time when many of us men and women will experience midlife challenges sometimes called a midlife crisis um, often that that place that sort of marking place in the, that we tend to associate with midlife in the 50s is usually a, a product of something of a turmoil that really that was that was has its start in the in the in that 40 period of life uh, and this, too, I have seen. So it's often the outgrowth of something that was starting to happen, but we didn't really realize it in force until maybe a decade later. Now, these numbers are, are you know, they could, it could be a little before. It can happen in our late 30s. It could start happening in our m- mid-50s, a little before. The, but that period is generally, generally a time when we assess, start assessing things. And, again, sometimes we're so busy we actually can't do it. But when you get to a place where you can, you have all these different feelings merging inside. And I think that life change, and, this is, and again, especially for those, of us who, for those of you who are younger, but I would say life change often occurs at decadal hinge moments. And so it doesn't surprise me that this is when Moses comes to this conclusion because he was at one of those dec- decadal hinge moments. When we're turning 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, these, these places we tend, to look, we tend to start looking at life a little bit and we assess, you know, the path that we're on, where we're going, what has been. It's, it's an interesting time of assessment. It's a natural assessing point. And it, doesn't, it shouldn't surprise us that Moses has this huge life shift occurring at this marking point in his life. He makes the move. Okay, verse 25. What does he do? He chose rather to be mistreated, that is to suffer oppression, with the people of God who were enslaved than to enjoy the fleeting. And the way that the Hebrew, writer of Hebrews describes it this is just fantastic. Rather to enjoy the fleeting, the momentary, the passing, the transitory pleasures of sin. Or, or as the older version that I originally read it in renders it, than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. It's like drinking the milkshake, how good it is, and then getting to the bottom and seeing there's a dead cockroach on the bottom of it. It's got it. Oh, what did I do? Right. So it has that element to it. And, you know, again, I love the poetic way his decision is described. You can feel the rhythm in in these words in this passage. It's uh, it's about giving and gaining. It's about refusing and being rewarded. Again, I'll just read it again rapidly there. Uh, It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ. That is, listen, contextually, the disgrace of being associated with the people who held the promise of Messiah. That's what that phrase is referring to. It seems a bit odd initially. Because like Jesus wasn't even born and they're talking about the reproach of Christ, but really what he's connecting to is the fact that he chose to be associated with, with the stigma of, of a people who were oppressed and enslaved, but held the promise of Abraham and the promise of Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And he, he connects himself there on the basis of faith in that promise. He considered it greater wealth, that is value than the treasures of Egypt you can see that for yourself as you read the passage for he was looking to the reward that is he had a long view he had an eternal perspective and by faith he left Egypt look at that verse 27 not being afraid of the anger of the king it's true that he had fled for his life but we are reminded that he had a higher driver something far more deeper and more profound was igniting him far more than even his fear it was a belief, for he endured, that is, and here it is. Here's the connection to the title. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That is, he had a long view. And that's our big connect. And I want to sit, so that, that's the passage, right? Uh, I have a, a, a yearning in the spirit to, to take us somewhere with this. Uh, best I can say is I want to wrestle with the scripture and put it, put it into our own lives and maybe some of it will connect with you, but when it comes to following the invisible one that Moses was referring to, there's a couple of things that we can we can understand and learn. And, and one of the first things I wanna just put out there is this, that when it comes to following like Moses did, the invisible one who has revealed himself, one, number one, it's gonna cost us something. We must never forget this, never forget that a faith in Jesus If it doesn't cost us anything is not much of a faith at all. Ours is no cheap gospel. It's not the cheap good news. Our salvation costs God everything, His only begotten Son. As it has been said many times, salvation is free. can never do anything to earn it, but it's not cheap. It costs God everything. What's more, and it's really good for us to remember, even on a, a day like today, that there are people all over the world who love Jesus who are right now suffering and being persecuted, some cases imprisoned, some cases violated, in some cases killed, especially though not exclusively in Muslim countries. That's just the reality of the way that it is. And I think if I can say it, that many of us who have committed ourselves to follow Jesus and I'm talking right now to those of us who have, okay, who have committed ourselves to follow Jesus. And and I realize not all of us have necessarily, we may be here and we may not have done that. We may, we may be still um, someone who is considering accepting the Lord into our lives, or perhaps we're as of yet, you know, convinced, but are, we have sincere interest wherever we are. But right now, I want to say this to those of us who are, who would say, I am a follower of Jesus. I would say that we in the West are, relatively speaking, compared to other people in many who love Jesus in, in difficult places in the world, we, we are pampered beyond measure. And I include myself. And I would say, comparatively speaking, we are, our faith is relatively weak because we have so much. Uh, at times it is fickle. We have to debate between whether we'll come to the House of the Lord or or watch a football game. Uh, If we're inconvenienced with a parking space, we can get offended. the reality is that so much of our faith is untempered by fire that is characterizing many people's confession in other places of the world. And let's be clear that when it comes to the persecution of our faith, and I don't talk like this all the time, but I do need to say it every now and then, that when it comes to persecution for our faith, our, our concerns are primarily peer pressure, to be quite honest, it, it's, or the potential loss of comfort, position, or promotion. It's, n- it's not nothing, but comparatively speaking, it's pretty tame. Back to Moses. (laughs) Okay. He had his eye on the invisible one, and it cost him something. That's what I was trying to get at. He was thinking with an eternal perspective. That's what we're being told here. I was reminded of something I read from a book when I was just a young believer in Jesus. I was a a teenager when I read this. It was from a, a writer named Vance Havener, who was like an old country preacher, but who I found out later was referred to by Billy Graham as his favorite author of all time. And Hevner wrote in his book, which I remembered, Moments of Decision, which for a, a young man who was trying to grapple with his faith and the implications of following Jesus, had a lot to say to me. And I remembered one chapter that was dedicated precisely to Moses. And he talked about how Moses chose rather to suffer, you know, affliction with the people of God and how he gave it all up. And, he, and you know what? I, I went back and I found it, and I, and I just want to share a little bit of it with you. He says, consider the choice this young man. I love the fact that he's a young man at 40. Consider the choice that this young man made. He was, look, this is interesting. He was the only free Hebrew of his time. There was only one descendant there who was free, Moses. Everybody else was enslaved. Think about that. His prospects were brilliant though. Wealth, ease, refinement, pleasure, and power all at his fingertips. Josephus, the historian, says Moses was in line for the throne of Egypt, one of the great civilizations of all time, at the height, right? All this adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter could have had, and yet he cast his lot with a nation of slaves. Habner goes on to say, they were a weak, he gives an accurate assessment of them, they were a weak, vacillating multitude of undisciplined servants, easily discouraged, often rebellious, they vexed Moses until he lost his patience, spoke unadvisedly with his lips, and missed getting into the promised land himself. Nine out of ten would have called him a fool for making such a choice, but Hebner says he was right. A great assessment. He was right because he had his accent on what really mattered, he had his accent on the eternal more than on the temporal. If he was only looking at things through the lens of the temporal, there's no question. He made the wrong call. But he believed what God said. and so he acted on that belief. Our great leader taught us to take up our cross and follow him, to like Moses, accept the cost, to weigh it out on the scale of the eternal and cast our lot with Him. You see this in your hand out there? This is in Mark six, it says Mark 8. It says this, Then calling the crowd, just check out what Jesus said. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, follow me. Whoa. And if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of this good news, you will save it. I asked you this question. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is there anything? Come on. Is there anything worth more than your soul? The primary issue here has to do with what true success looks like. And what we build our life around. About what we put first, doesn't it? About what we're willing to release, what we're willing to embrace. And you cannot miss the, the note of surrender in this, these words of Jesus. He's basically saying, you know, the, the cross is like, and it's interesting because he talks about the cross, but he hasn't even gone to the cross. But they knew what he meant because they had seen it in the streets of Jerusalem. They'd watched people carrying crosses through the streets as the Romans, you know, made them carry their own, you know, like their own place of death on their shoulders like Jesus would end up doing. And so when Jesus uses that reference, man, he's getting into something that is vividly something they were aware of, and it, it, would, have, it would have shocked them like it does at some level hit us hard. Because what he was basically saying is, don't, be, don't think that this is only something that is just always about getting. It is. It's about true life. But it costs something. There are times when we need to make decisions on the basis of what we say we believe. And that's what I want to get at next. Really, I truly do. And, here, and here's what I'd like us to consider. Here's the second piece of this. That following the invisible one is going to affect, listen, loved ones, it's going to affect how we think about life and success. It's going to affect how we think about, yes, even suffering. Last passage in the handout there on that second column, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, so we do not lose heart. That is, we do not allow ourselves to be beaten down by the difficulty of life. Though our outer person is wasting away, that is, it won't last forever, this body of ours, which we will do everything we can to sustain. Paul says our inner being is being renewed day by day because this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things which are seen, you guys, but the things which are not seen. There it is. For the things which are seen, he says, are, they're temporal, they're transient. But the things that are unseen, they're eternal. Now, that's what Moses grasped. Stay with me. That's the truth that propelled him into courageous faith. And what I'm suggesting is that when we really believe and embrace the scriptures, what they tell us, what we just read, what Jesus said, what Moses did, and what Paul is referring to in Second Corinthians, when we really take this and believe it, it's going to, and, and what he taught us about the true nature of life, it's going to alter everything about our life. As we alluded to earlier, it's going to affect what we, how we determine what real success looks like. I was talking to someone last evening who was wrestling with some of these things about, am I, you know, am I being successful? And you know, Getting a lot of pressure to, to achieve and to make more money. And when we were talking, we started sitting with what Jesus talked about as true success. And how, if we actually believe his words, then it will change our perception of what real success looks like. It's not an anti achievement message, it's not an anti wealth message. It's just saying do do not ever base, we are never to base our identity on the accumulation of the things that we temporarily possess or the titles. We achieve. If we believe his words, it changes how we think about things because we say, this is not all there is, right? That is a very different thing. It's going to affect how we challenge ourselves. It's going to affect how we think about other types of things as well, right? It's going to, think, it's going to impact how we love. It's going to impact how we live. It's going to impact how we challenge ourselves and how... We, we confront things in our own heart at times, how we forgive. It's going to affect things. It's going to affect how we work through things. It's going to affect how we think about things like aging, which is Paul's talking about in that passage. Some of us are discouraged about that. We may find ourselves at places in our lives where we're not where we thought we were supposed to be. Or now we're in a situation where we thought we were going to be here. And not only are we not here, but we're lower than even we, our prospects are that we're not going to get there. But we may, the prospect may be we're going to get down here. When that happens, we need to have a way, we need to have a way to, to understand that so that it does not define us. And that's going to wrestle at times. We're going to have to wrestle with things. Sometimes relationships do not work the way we wanted them to. Sometimes our health does not hold the way we wanted it to hold. Some of us are going to have to, have, at times, we will endure hard things. How do we do that? How do we do that and keep an act? How, how do we get past things and forgive? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's not easy to endure as Moses did, seeing him who was invisible. But what does that mean, really? You know what it means? is that we're making our choices not on the basis of life as it can only be seen with the naked eye, but on the basis of what Jesus taught us, on the basis of a faith in what cannot be seen but is as real as the air that we breathe, though we do not see it. And I've been thinking about something a pastor that I was listening to, a teacher, was sharing, and it was so simple, but it hit me. Maybe it hit me because it's where I was. And I heard his phrase And I can't tell if it was a phrase that he had coined or he was quoting. I didn't know. But when he said it, it hit me in a good way. He said, God wants us to doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. God wants us to doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. First off, doubting our doubts is fantastic. Some of us. When we feel like part of us isn't going to make it, when we start feeling like, I need, is it worth Is—is is God even there? Does he love me? Doubt our doubts. Just don't even, don't give those, doubt the doubt. But the other piece, God wants us to believe our beliefs. That was the one for me. That just went, bam. Because we can say, it's huge, because we can say we believe and not act like we believe. We can have faith and not live into that faith. I'm not so much talking about the distinction between faith and action. That's a legitimate discussion. The book of James really zeroes in on it. I'm not, I'm not talking about the disconnect between, I say I believe, but then I act like I don't, in terms of my interactions with people. I, I'm not, that's not what I'm actually, what really what I was wrestling with. And again, I hope I, can, I hope I can say this. I hope the Lord is in this. What I was talking about is our internal struggles, our life assessment, our life issues, what we're going to yield our center to, what's going to dictate how we deal with this reality. That's what I was, that's what it was like. I felt like I was saying, you, you need to believe your beliefs. You say you believe. And believe into that. Let let that be what what guides you. It's like we can say, I I say I believe in you, Lord. I say I I believe that you have life for me yet to be, that I need to have an eternal perspective, that that eternal perspective is to inform my temporal, real existence in this everyday life of mine. But if I live as one who truly believes that, then what I'm saying is this is not, the end of the journey. This is not all there is. This is part of a longer journey, and it's a good part with ups and downs in it, it's a, but it is not all there. If I believe what you said, believe my belief. If I believe what you said, then it will affect how I think about things in this life most of the time, about how those things, when they're not going the way that I wanted them to go, or I'm afraid. And I say, Lord, remind me of what's important. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let our requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes understanding, human manipulate, whatever we want to call it, will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That is what he's talking about. It affects how, uh, what I'm suggesting is It's like, if Lord help me to believe what I say, I believe. Help me to, I believe, I do believe it, but it's got to, but you want that belief that I have to show up tangibly in the way I'm working through things inside of me. Because I say I believe, but the truth is, I would not, I'm having a hard time acting as if I really do believe that. I say this is what success looks like, but when that's not happening for me the way I want it, Why am I so depressed? Now, I get part of that because this is our real life. But what I'm trying to say is God has given us a tool, and that tool is perspective. And perspective, when it's embraced in faith, allows us to negotiate anything in life, even life's crushing disappointments. And it will allow us to make courageous decisions, even when a part of us never would make them on our own. But we hold to what Moses held to. We weigh it out on the scale and we say, Lord, I'm going your way. It may be not doing something. It may be doing something. It may be challenging something, but I'm going your way. Thirdly, lastly, I'll say with this as we land the plane. Wheels out. Hudson River. Here we go. All right. When all is said and done, following the invisible one will be worth it. And, but here's the deal. Between now and then, between now the dash the dash between the years between now and then vibrant faith is courageous faith faith is required Moses could never have envisioned how powerful his decision would become what a blessing it would be how it would echo into eternity and in history how we even now are living out of his example. He would, he, would, he, will have, he would have seasons of doubt. He would have times where he would have difficulty. But in the end, his life wasn't anything but problem-free. But in the end, God, <laughs> he, God blessed him. His choice was right. I was reminded of Jim Elliott, the great missionary. We call him the great missionary. He's, remember, some of you know the story of Jim Elliott. And, you know, super quick. He, he was, uh, in 1956, he ended up. He and a team of missionaries were killed by the people they went to bring Jesus to in Ecuador. It was a very hostile, dangerous tribe, and, and most people didn't know how to interact with them. They tried to bring the message of Jesus. They ended up dying. The Hurani. The reason that it becomes even more amazing is years later, they would end up, there would be a breakthrough, and there would come a, a uh, an openness to Jesus on the part of some of them and, and, and the, the years that passed down the line brought, brought the descendants of some of these missionary who have been killed, the, their children and, and the Hirani tribe, they bonded in a way that was utterly only possible with Jesus. And they were literally bound together by the blood of, the, of martyrs. And part of that story is told in the docudrama The End of the Spear. But Elliot, Jim Elliot, wrote these words that a lot of times they're quoted, and some of us know them, and not all of us necessarily do. But he said this before he went, he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. She is no fool who gives what she cannot keep to gain what she cannot lose. It all depends on our perspective, doesn't it? That's what we believe. Who is the fool and who is the wise one? I tell you, Jesus said, build your house on the rock. He or she who does, hears and does these sayings of mine, I will tell you, they are likened to the wise one who built the house of their life on the rock. And when the storms hit and the floods rise, when everything in hell is breaking out, That house will hold, will hold. Jesus said, how shall I liken the kingdom of heaven? I tell you, it is like a merchant who is in the business of buying and selling pearls. And he came across one pearl, a pearl of great price and he emptied out his entire collection to obtain that pearl. He is the pearl. If you have him, you have the best. All other things will pass away. Lord, help us to believe our beliefs. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to be a people who live with vibrant faith. The surrendered life is the way to go. Help us to build our lives on the rock that cannot be shaken. The storms outside, the storms inside, will not prevail. You will prevail in us. Give us faith to doubt our doubts and to believe our beliefs. This is what I ask in Jesus' name for all of us, amen.